Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 13, the red and blue switcheroo. Riz, you've done it again. Done it again, and it's lucky 13. Lucky number 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly yeah. Is. Lucky third. So this is it. So if we make it past this episode, we will officially have an episode 14. That's all we can guarantee you. That's really ominous. <laughs> exactly. Something going to happen? You never know with the number 13. It's an unlucky number, Jay. Isn't it, isn't it amazing that we that. still build buildings and we skip the 13th floor? Are we not over that yet? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is really weird. We're, we're a superstitious culture, you know. We've. Uh, I mean, that's taking a little far. It the is. entire building, a bunch of adults building a building. We're like, we're going to skip thirteen because it's unlucky. Yeah, I mean, there are baseball players that don't even wash their jock straps for the entire season because they think it's unlucky. So you know, everyone, everyone's got their thing. That's our thing. Uh, okay. All right. Well, if we don't see you guys, it's been fun. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so we have a lot to get to today, Jay. So we I do. think we should just jump right in. We should we should dispense with the. Uh, you know what? Like, why I'm I'm talking more and just taking up more time. Just just uh, let's go right into Honest Dave's. Let's do it. Honest Dave's hit it. When he growed up, this tiny babe, folks all called him Honest Abe. Abraham. Abraham. Welcome to Honest Abe's. Now I heard a rumor. Yeah, the rumors might be true. It, it's going around town, you know, people be talking. The rumor is that we have mugs now and masks. Riz, you asked for it. You got it. We have mugs. We have mugs. We got three kinds of mugs. We got a travel mug. Mm-hmm. We got a latte mug because, mm-hmm. you know, you need a latte mug. And we have your regular uh, tea mug. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's great. Options. And they say down the middle on it. and Moderate change. But but for the mugs, Riz, because right. you're so smart. Yeah, it's sipped incrementally. Sipped incrementally. Because yes. you don't want to you don't want too much coffee and you don't want too much change. So much cleverness on the part of the uh, the down the middle squad here. I wonder if so, they can handle it. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. We also have like baby onesies and we have masks. We have all kinds of cool products. We also have a new T-shirt design. Yeah, which is the logo and our 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 wonderful catchphrase. Yeah, so you can check them out. The link is in you know all our social bios. It's part of our link tree, and it's easy to find, and check it out and buy some stuff. Yeah, it would be really good. And uh, you could drink your coffee in moderation, of course. Yeah. You should put sip cream in there. Yeah, sip it incrementally. Not too much cream. Not too much cream. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We're, we're trying to stay healthy here. It's a pandemic, people. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I just realized something, Jay. We never actually introduced ourselves, because we, we now that we're at 13, we, we just figure everyone knows us. So uh, I am uh, Rob the Riz Lifer. Who are you? I'm Justin J. Siegel. Yeah. And, and, and here we you. are. Here we are. Oh, I should also tell I forgot to tell you this, that uh, one of my high school friends reached out to me and was like, since when did we call you Rob the Cat Lifer? Because you said something like that. And I had oh, to explain so to him when I'm now going to explain to our listeners that Jay and I have known each other for like 20 years. And this has been an ongoing joke for 20 years where we basically put, oh, that's what they used to call you in high school, like next to every single thing. Oh my gosh, so, it's finally come full circle. Someone from high school actually <laughs> Someone from high school actually was like, we didn't call you that. And I was like, well, you, you know, it's like if I cook a good dinner for my friend, like a barbecue, it'd be like a great yeah. barbecue. And I'll be like, yeah, they used to call me... Uh, you know, uh, great, great barbecue, barbecue Riz. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's an inside joke and, uh, that's not actually what they called me, but, uh, don't take it seriously. All right. So moving on, we got a discord. Yeah. Go to our discord. You can mix it up with us. You can talk politics with us. Um, you know, we talk about these questions on the air and yeah. in certain segments and, and we want you to do it. So I must say, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed, uh, that we didn't get more dis- discord questions or comments last week because we know 
that it was our most popular episode yet. We have metrics and we check our metrics. We see you. We see you. It was downloaded very quickly and streamed very quickly by a lot of a lot of you. And apparently all of you agree with us on Israel, which (laughs) it sounds is great. See, you guys are just being shy. And and what I'm saying is you can you can chime in on on Discord just to tell us that you agree with us even. We just want to hear we want to see your beautiful faces. Well, actually we don't because we don't get to see them on, on Discord. But it's we anonymous. want we want to hear your voice. Well, we don't even get to hear your voices, but we want <laughs> we want to feel your presence. Let's just <laughs> leave it at that. We want um, to see your uh fonts. Yeah, so stop being shy. Get on our Discord, chime in. Let's uh let's discuss stuff. Um, one other thing that we wanted to put in this Honest Abe's Housekeeping Hangout, I got a little bit of feedback from one of my friends who happens to be one of our best friends of the pod. And uh, he was saying that the Israel stuff we did yeah, last week was great. It was, uh, you know, and that he, he feels he personally is very much misinformed or uninformed about the whole Israel issue. So he really appreciated it. But he also was like, well, I, you didn't talk about the other side. So I want to hear the other side of the issue. So in the spirit of your podcast, so that I could make up my own mind. And I thought, yeah, you know, that, that is fair. That is fair. Jay and I happen to completely agree on the Israel issue. We don't think there's any room for disagreement, but we can, <laughs> we can have someone on to talk about it. Yeah. So that's one of the things we're going to try to do in the next few weeks, even if it's not, you know, a, a Palestinian person, just, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get someone like Seth Rogen on or something, <laughs> but uh, somebody to talk about the other side, hopefully someone more informed than Seth Rogen, but somebody, you know, maybe from the New York Times editorial board, who, 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 one, of, one of those Jews who doesn't like Israel, which we'll get yeah, to later. They're everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we are, we are going to bring that back. We appreciate the feedback and uh, we hope you like that segment. Again, Israel is such a broad, such a complex topic. It was the first of many times we'll be talking about it. Um, and then we have one more thing. We have some very, very exciting news. Uh, this is probably the biggest news of our pod so far. So yeah. while Justin and I are both holding down full-time jobs at the moment, there has been enough excitement generated by our podcast for us to realize that we have a concept here that is resonating with people and that you know maybe now would be a good time for us to take it up to the next level. So we are starting our own media company that will at first be mainly a political ideology and opinion website, but we're hoping that it will eventually grow into the first ever all-partisan media company where people from all over the world will be able to come to get news and opinions from all sides of the political spectrum, uh, whether you're a liberal, a conservative, a libertarian, an independent, all of those ideologies will be welcome and we will be talking about a wide variety of topics. Uh, we are going to start with purely op-ed journalism. Now, what is an op-ed? A lot of people actually are misinformed and think that it stands for opinion editorial, but it actually doesn't. Op-ed stands for opposite the editorial page. It denotes journalism devoted to commentary and opinion. Used to be in the old days when you actually took out a newspaper, there was the editorial page. On the other side was the opinion stuff. So op-ed opposite the editorial page. All the op-eds that we publish will be the author's opinions but will contain cited material for those opinions so that the reader will be receiving fact-based political rhetoric only. And this is extraordinarily important to us because we are going to do everything in our power to prevent conspiracy theories and out-of-context political spin from being printed on our website. All opinions are welcome here. All theories have a home here. 
But anything presented as fact will be fully cited and vetted before it goes up on our website. And each piece we publish will include links to the cited sources. And I think we're going to do it in a very unique way that you guys will like. I'm tired of going to multiple websites and TV channels to get a balanced opinion on exactly. topics. In the spirit of this podcast, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm sure everyone else is tired of it too. And so we wanted to bring this to you in the same way we brought this to you. Our view, and I think we touched on this before, is that you guys are smart enough to make up your own minds. You're smart enough to do the research. We want yeah. to disseminate the information and let our, uh, you know, let our readers, let our viewers uh, decide where they stand. And I think that's a healthy thing. Presented on a silver platter. Uh, or 24 karat gold. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are going to call uh, this online publication The Intermediary. We, are, we have already trademarked the name and we have all the domains. So don't nick it because again, we will sue you in court. Go system. <laughs> and uh, The Intermediary will be a subsidiary of a corporation that we have officially formed as of today, which is going to be called Intermediary Media Group. Our tagline for now is all partisan, all the facts, all the time. We are in the process of securing a domain and building our website. And our first op-ed, which has already been written by an independent voice, will be published within the next few weeks. So please stay tuned. We want to get everything up. You know, rollout is very important. My dad was in marketing and branding. You only get one chance to make a first impression, Jay. You know that. I've heard that before. Yeah. From your dad, probably. Yeah, exactly. So we are really excited about this, and uh, we'll be bringing you guys a lot of stuff. I, one more thing I want to say about that, that once we get this up and running, we anticipate we're going to have a lot more content, not just yeah. this, not just written, but also different podcasts, podcasts that aren't even about politics. I wanted to tell, this is, this is actually me just talking to Jay. I was playing one of, my, one of our episodes for my wife, who I've said many times has no political leanings whatsoever. She's, she's sort of just a not political person. She's no partisan. Yeah, no partisan, exactly. And she was listening to the pod, and she was, she was saying, like, you guys sound super smart. You sound like you know what you're talking about, but I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of people... Know? Right. <laughs> I think, her. Yeah, the, I mean, this podcast was designed for people who are already into politics, but sure. we ha I have gotten feedback from a lot of people like, I wish you could kind of do more basics so I mm -hmm. can understand this stuff. And right. you know, maybe that's not right in the context of our podcast right now, but I totally anticipate that we're going to have content like that. Well, we're just going through basics. Maybe yeah, we some have one-on-ones. Right. It, maybe we have a podcast where we just read the Federalist Papers. That's the entire podcast. I mean, I would listen <laughs> to that podcast. That sounds great. Exactly. You know, every single week we do a, do a different paper. I love it. Stay tuned. We got a lot of stuff coming up for you. And so excited for this. That's all I got to say. Yeah. So let's 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 jump into the show. We're in episode 13. Let's not waste any more time. We care a lot, don't we, Jay? We care a lot about you. We care a lot. We care a lot. All right. So this week's We Care a Lot. Uh we got a question that I I don't probably for you, Riz. Yeah, I guess it could, be, it could be for anyone. I liked this question, and I would like to take it if it's okay with you. That's fine. And then, we, and then so. we can discuss. All right. So let me read this for you. Uh, do you guys think cancel culture will eventually end? If so, how will it end? And what is the natural endpoint going to look like? Great question. I love this. Who, who asked this question? Uh, this was conservative Karen. I love conservative yeah. Karen. And, and I like, I like the fact that conservative Karen is concerned with cancel culture, because I yeah. am too, and so is Jay, because it's stupid. Indeed. 
So cancel culture, just a brief review of what cancel culture is. It's canceling people for for no particular reason um, other than they said something 30 years ago. So the way we cancel them is we go after their livelihoods. We uh, demean them on social media. We make it so they can't have careers anymore. We get them fired from their workplace. Yeah, instead of engaging in context or conversation or discussion or, yeah. you know, having grace, none of those mm-hmm. things exist in cancel None culture. of those things exist. Uh, I am a good example right now I, that I just thought of that just popped in my head is there we live in California in Southern California there's an airport called John Wayne Airport which is in Orange County they're talking about changing the name of John Wayne uh, because of course John Wayne said something racist once now let me just say John Wayne was born in 1907 I actually just looked that up Um, so the idea that John Wayne probably said something racist uh, of course he did so many people did he (laughs) also did some great stuff too I mean well well, that's the thing he uh, John Wayne probably was racist at some point in his life or had racist thoughts yes but he also was the top box office draw yeah. For three straight decades, yeah, and so that's we'll just why, erase them from history. <laughs> but, w- but the point is, we named the airport after John Wayne, not because he said a racist thing once, but because he was the top box office draw for three and decades. We live in you Los idiots, Angeles. right? We live in Los Angeles, and, and from what I hear, we do make movies every once in a while here. Yeah, yeah, occasionally, <laughs> right? So that you know, that's a perfect example of cancel culture. We found something that a dead guy said when he was twenty years old. And now we have to erase, we have to take all his movies off TV. We have to erase his name from any, any buildings. And, you know, that's stupid. So, so the question is, will this come to an end? I first want to say that this whole thing has been exacerbated by the presidency of Donald Trump. Anyone who doesn't agree to that is, is doing something wrong. He uses it as a, as a, as a shield. He, he does. It, ha- it happened to happen during the, this presidency. And it was, a, it, I feel like he really brought it front and center by, using it as a as a tactic to uh you know when someone asks him a question that's serious that he has to understand facts and figures he just goes to well they're taken down they're taking our right. statues well you know it's, what I mean? it's a, sort of a, a tactic i i hear what you're saying i was even more referring to the fact that just his general divisiveness has driven people so crazy mm-hmm. uh, on the left that it's like we need to tear down everything you know because you get into that mode where you're so upset he has triggered the left so much and and as i've said before i think back in our in our first few episodes the the triggering i i feel is less they're triggered by what donald trump is saying and more triggered by the fact that the conservatives aren't triggered but regardless he has certainly done something that has made people uh, you know sort of have the, the craziness and just have this ridiculous mentality so when will it end you know as i always say this kind of leftism eats itself and eventually comes for everyone who engages in it even the founders of the movement. And that's why it's stupid. You can never be woke enough that the Overton window will continue to shift and you will eventually find yourself outside of that window, especially if you get on board with these kind of people. So what you're saying is we'll know this is over when Starbucks goes out of business? Uh, (laughs) Maybe, but here's what I'm saying. Here's exactly what I'm saying, Jay. I think the natural endpoint will be when it comes for somebody who is so beloved by the rational liberal base that everyone sort of throws up their hands and says, okay, enough is enough. We're done with this bull. And that's not Ellen. Yeah, no, but to give an example, the first, it's funny you, you say that because to give an example, the first person that comes to mind is Oprah Winfrey. Um, you know, Oprah is consistently polled 
as being one of the most admired and respected people on planet Earth. She is a liberal, for sure, but her popularity crosses over political lines. There was a New York Times article I read a few weeks ago that cited her approval numbers as being in the same realm as Gandhi and Jesus. Come on. <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, she Oprah, gave out cars? I think just what, for whatever reason, people really love Oprah. Oprah uh-huh. is one deeply beloved individual. But Oprah has had a very long career. She had a daily talk show for decades. It is pretty much guaranteed that at some point, she probably said something that doesn't mesh with the prevailing orthodoxy of the woke left. Yeah. So as soon as somebody finds it, I guarantee you somebody's looking right now. Of course. Right now, As we we speak, right? As soon as somebody finds it and attempts to cancel her by going after her reputation or her business or her advertisers, that's when I think you're going to see an incredible backlash against this cancel culture phenomenon. And people will finally say that they're no longer down with it. I mean, do you agree with me, Jay? I think that's how it ends. I agree. It, it's going to take down someone mm-hmm. of that kind of stature, someone who the, the woke left right now sort of praise and hold up on a pedestal, and then they're going to have no choice. Right. Uh, who's the comedian it took down recently? What's his name? Oh, you're uh, talking about Kevin, Kevin Hart. Hart. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was going to say, it, like, Kevin Hart's sort of like, yeah, we could do without Kevin Hart, whatever. Yeah. He was cool, but yeah, whatever. When it He's comes kind of, for kind of Oprah, back now, anyway. Yeah, he is kind of back. Yeah. A lot of, some of them do come back. Some of them don't, don't stay down for long. I, and, and, you know, when I talk about cancel culture, I talk even more about people who aren't in the public eye, who mm-hmm. just work for a corporation that sure, are just fired. regular civilians and get fired because somebody found a tweet from 20 years ago that they, tweeted when they were in college or something i mean it's just it's it's unbelievably stupid so to answer your question conservative karen i do think it's going to end i think it's a phase like anything else i think the right wants you to think that it's not a phase that it's here to stay but i do think it will end when it takes down one of our own that is just so beloved that we cannot we we just can't sit by and and let it happen anymore and uh yeah yeah, that's it and it is dangerous it is dangerous so thank you for asking that question all right, moving right along. We're motoring. Hey, I heard, Riz, mm-hmm. I heard that you have, you got something for us this week. I heard you got a rant. I have a rant as, as, I, am, as I am want to have. All right, here we go. Rants by Riz. All right, so uh, welcome to Rants by Riz. Uh, this rant this week is going to be about this, on the subject of fear-mongering. Now, both political parties fearmonger. Now, what is fearmongering? Fearmongering is very simply spread the spreading of frightening and exaggerated rumors of an impending danger to purposely arouse fear in order to manipulate the public. Fearmongering has been used for centuries, maybe even longer, to get people to vote in a particular fashion. Politics is about making it easy to vote for you and hard to vote for your opponent. Traditional fear-mongering of the American right, at least for the last 40 to 50 years, you know, most of my lifetime, usually centered around the idea that if you elect a Democrat, they're going to raise your taxes. That was always the very big one. That was really as far as it went. Yes, if there's one thing that historically gets people to pull the lever for you, it's the idea that the other guy is going to cost them money. Still to this day, voters claim that the most important political issue to them is the economy. According to a 2014 study that was published in USA Today, 65% of Americans say economic issues are the most important issue that influences the way they vote. Okay, as the old adage goes, it's the economy, stupid. Now, of course, the other famous right-wing fear-mongering tactic 
is that if you elect Democrats, they're always they're they're, they're going to take away your guns. They're going to dismantle the Second Amendment. That's always a popular one. Now, the left wing fear mongers a lot, too. Uh, left wing fear mongering of the right usually centers around the idea that Republicans are going to slowly dismantle your civil rights up to and including the reversal of Roe v. Wade, which would radically affect a woman's right to choose. Another big left wing fear mongering tactic is to suggest that Republicans are only interested in helping their big donor rich capitalist friends while they hang you and your family out to dry. The Democrats have been pounding that drum for a very, very long time. They only care about that 1%, right? Or, of course, the one that has actually proven to be true. Uh, if you elect Republicans, they will appoint lifelong conservative justices to the court that will change the way the Supreme Court interprets the Constitution for generations. This, perhaps, is the biggest issue on both the left and the right, I think, at this point. People recognize the Supreme Court has a lot of power, and these are generational uh, things that happen, you know, uh, these decisions can last for generations, and uh, they vote accordingly. Uh, the bottom line here is that good old healthy fear-mongering is an everyday part of politics around the world, and there's no political organization or party anywhere in the world that doesn't engage in it at some level. With that said, however, leading up to the election that is about to take place this November, the fear-mongering coming from the right and the right-wing media is absolutely out-of-control bat crazy. I have never seen anything like this in my life. The following clip aired on Laura Ingram's Ingram Angle on Fox News. Now, oh, you love her. Yeah, yeah. You love her, for for yeah. those who don't know much about Laura, she ain't a political lightweight. I mean, her night, her nightly primetime show is the second most watched news show on the planet, just after her colleague Tucker Carlson's show, both on the same network, by the way. Let this be a reminder to you whenever your crazy uncle tries to convince you how the media is biased against conservatives and Republicans. They are. <laughs> the network he watches, presumably Fox News, has three to four times the viewership of any so-called mainstream network. They don't even try to hide the ball on that statistic. They openly brag about it every night while still having the stones to claim that they're somehow the underdogs in this fight. Anyway, this clip aired on Laura Ingram's show, and it featured a Rebecca Friedrichs, who was once a teacher, apparently, and a union rep. So we have to take what she says very, very seriously. She has some serious credentials there. Uh, here's what that conversation sounded like. Went something like this. We're joining me now is Rebecca Friedrichs, former California school teacher, and a union rep. She was also the lead plaintiff in that landmark 2016 Supreme Court case against the NEA and California Teachers Association. Rebecca, I didn't think much of the teachers unions uh, before COVID, and now I'm frankly disgusted because it's obvious they're putting students last and teachers union political demands first. Your take. I am so thrilled that you feel that way and that you are highlighting this for your viewers. I have been shouting about this for decades. So it is very important that we open our schools. That is true. The unions are using the closure of our schools as a smokescreen. Laura, here's why. Sadly, these unions are actually using our schools 
to sexualize our children and to uh, train them in anti-American ideology. They do this with a coalition of over 180 organizations, including, sadly, the CDC, Planned Parenthood, and Black Lives Matter Incorporated. It is shocking what they're teaching our children online through virtual learning. They're teaching our children to sext to view pornography. They are hooking them up with online sex experts. So what they are doing is grooming our children for sexual predators to use them. This is child abuse. I have an editorial about this tomorrow online in the Washington Times. People can read and learn all the details. This is one of the big reasons the unions want to keep our schools closed, because they can sneak these evil lessons past loving teachers who have no idea by right. keeping them virtual. They're using the closure of our schools as a smokescreen to secretly sexualize our kids. They're covertly teaching our kids to sext and to view pornography. And, of course, as one would expect, hooking them up with sex experts online. I mean, why the hell wouldn't they? Sounds like Teen Vogue to me. Right. So I want to remind everyone again, after you've now listened to that, Maybe you trailed off uh, during my intro. This aired on the second most watched news program during primetime hours in the country, okay? This is pure and simple propaganda. It's completely absurd. It's malicious. It's grotesque. I've run out of ways to describe it. It's got no grounds for, there's no, I mean, it's just <laughs> there, crazy. No, it's completely rooted in conspiracy theories. It airs on primetime. Uh, she never offers up any evidence that this is happening. I have so many friends with kids. Who are in the virtual classroom in California, mm -hmm. you know, which is a very liberal, progressive state. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And they're, you know, they're not absentee parents. They're over their kids' shoulders. I mean, not anywhere. It's, that's She's crazy. basically saying that there is a, 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 pet, a child's pedophile sex ring that the teachers union is, is it, they're basically keeping schools closed just so that they can, you know, they could propagandize your children with pornography. Is she like a pizza gator? Yeah, probably. We're, we're going to get to that in our conspiracy theory episode that we've been talking about since episode one. <laughs> right. But yeah. anyway, to impute these kind of evil and sick motives on our public education system is so incredibly dangerous for this country. And notice how she had to throw in the anti-American values. That yeah, train's sure. never late. Never late. Whenever <laughs> it comes to public school, especially in liberal communities, it's anti-American values, right? So uh, moving on, we have the president of the United States fear-mongering that if Democrats win, they're going to move all of those black and brown people into your safe suburban community. Your kids are going to be breakdancing in the street. Your daughter is going to become the next Iggy Azalea. And the only way to stop this invasion is to apparently vote for Trump. Who knew? Talking to you, suburban he's talk. Yeah, he's talking to all of you. OK, and this is what that sounded like. Uh, what I mean is people are going to become uh, they're willing to be opening up areas of your neighborhood, which they're doing, and now they're going to do, they wanted to expand it, and they will expand it. If for any reason, they're going to, in my opinion, destroy suburbia. And just so you understand, 30% plus of the people living in suburbia are minorities. African-American, Asian-American, Hispanic-American, they're minorities, 30%. The number's even higher. It's, they say 35, but I like to cut it a little bit lower. You know why? That way I can never get myself in too much trouble with the fake news. But 30% plus are minorities living in suburbia. And when they go in and they want to change zoning so that you have lots of problems, where they want to build low-income housing, uh, you want something where people can aspire to be there. 
not something where it gets hurt badly. And that's what happens. So with suburban women, suburban men, I think they feel very strongly about what I'm doing. It's a very, I mean, it's a very fair question. It's a very important question. But they fought all their lives to be there. And then all of a sudden, they have something happen that changes their life and changes what they fought for for so many years. You know the problem with changing the zoning? What's that? Well, Adam Banks, he ends up on the wrong team. He ends up on the Mighty Ducks. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Uh, Trump says the, the quiet part out loud there, which is ba- he's basically screaming, if you don't vote for me, there's going to be a hell of a lot of minority people moving to your quiet little suburb. That's basically what he's saying. Um, and yeah, it's uh, talk about fear mongering. That is uh, that is pretty crazy. But I have one more example here. And this is this is perhaps my favorite. James Woods, who is uh, one of the few celebrities for Trump, who has also lost a step or two, I, I guess you could say, put out this tweet. It was a picture of of Donald Trump sitting at the Resolute desk, and the tweet read as follows. This is our last stand, folks, and here is your last defender. If they take him down, America is gone forever. Vote for Donald Trump like your life depends on it. <laughs> now, I, now, I read it dramatically, but uh, it was written pretty dramatically, too, with a very dramatic picture of Donald Trump. And, th- you know, then Laura Ingram has the nerve to tweet last night during the DNC, the first night it was the first night of the DNC convention. She has the nerve to tweet. This is unreal. Dystopian and depressing DNC. I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Dystopian and depressing. You have people surrogates that are working for Donald Trump, that are telling people that if Donald Trump doesn't get reelected, the country is over. It's done. Now, you know, they did the same thing with Hillary Clinton. I've never seen it to this extreme, though. And, you know, what? maybe uh, Democrats need to start taking a page out of this fear-mongering book because they're not doing it hard enough. I'll tell you what, it wasn't, it wasn't prevalent in the DNC. Right. Well, the Democrats do the whole like we're fighting for the soul of our nation. That's great. That's actually true. But the the Republicans, I've said this before. I will say it again. I know a lot of people don't don't agree with me on this, but they are so much more political animals the way they operate they are apt they are willing to go down every rabbit hole. They will embrace every conspiracy if it helps them. They are just on a perpetual political mind trip to just do whatever they have to do to win. And they're very successful at it. It was never so outward before. I mean, I agree. The Republican Party has been known to, to you know, take care of political tactics in a way that was swept under the rug. Oh, yeah. Now it's sort of just blatant and in yeah, your face. I mean, that mm-hmm. quote from Trump was just bonkers. <laughs> the quote from Trump is great. But when you have people talking about how if if the Democrats get their way, they're going to covertly sexualize your children. Yeah, and sure. then you have people talking about how America is going to be gone forever, never to return. So you have to vote for Trump like your life depends on it. I mean, that is a hyperbole to uh, a magnitude that I don't think I've ever seen in, in, in American politics. Can I also least. tell you, they're giving Joe Biden and Kamala Harris so much credit that they can overturn the constitution in four years that's impressive <laughs> pretty good it's very, well you know you know we, we've talked about this before on the show Th- this country has proven to be resilient enough where you know it's always this is the end of the world but yeah, sure. we usually do bounce back pretty quickly with that said i do actually believe 
that another four years of Donald Trump might be, we might not be able to recover from that. So vote your heart out, people, but just don't vote for Donald Trump. That's just my opinion. Though. Look, I mean, the only thing I have to add is like your whole take uh, in our previous episode about if we don't like how the country is being run by the people in power, we can reverse everything in four years. Sort of the point. Yeah. There are statistics that show very clearly that if there's a progressive agenda, either on, on either side, those statistics point to the fact that the president is almost always ousted four years later. Yeah. So you got to pay attention to those statistics when you're mm -hmm. thinking about the, the quote unquote dangers that may uh, occur when a new president comes into office. Yeah, we, no, can totally. we can vote them out in four years. We can mm -hmm. reverse everything that they've done. And mm -hmm. America will, you know, go back to whatever it was before that. And we bounce back and forth. It's just the way that the system works. Yeah, no. And, and again, the way politics works is you want to make your, your I mean, it's a nasty sport. Yeah, it just is. You want to make you, you want to make your opponent look stupid. You want to make your opponent look evil and corrupt. Uh, you know, I think the more we've gotten to the realm of making our opponents look evil rather than just people we disagree with, the more problems we've had in this country with division. There's a big difference between someone with the intent of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, evil deeds and evil acts to destroy mm -hmm. America and then yep. someone who believes in an ideology and they're, you know, placing that ideology and, into the presidency. It's a big difference. Exactly. So anyway, I uh, hope you enjoyed that. That's Riz's rant. Uh, we have a new segment, don't we, Jay? New segment alert. <laughs> we do. <laughs> What's the new segment called? Uh, this segment is called Culture Corner. The Transformers will return after these messages. Welcome to Blockbuster Video. Blockbuster Video. <laughs> Culture Corner. So this is going to be a segment we're going to bring back every once in a while just to sort of deconstruct some cultural things that are happening, hopefully things that are pertaining to politics and, you know, things that you guys can relate to and things you guys can watch and listen to. And uh, I think it'll be a cool little segment. So I wanted to give a shout out to a uh, series that my wife and I just finished watching a couple weeks ago called Waco. It is a limited series that is on Netflix. It is starring Taylor Kitsch, uh, who's really become a great actor, by the way. I yeah. at, at first thought he was just sort of another Hollywood pretty face, but he... Uh, well, he had to recover from a, from a very big Disney flop, and he's done he did, quite yeah. well. Yeah. He has. He, he's really, a, in this series in particular, he is an incredible character actor. I mean, he really does a great job. So he uh, plays David Koresh, um, and I'll get into that a little bit. It's a six-episode a six series that dramatizes the 1993 standoff between the FBI and uh, the ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, and the Branch Davidians, and it happened in, in Waco, Texas. Now, uh, some of you may be too young to remember this, so we should, uh, you know, maybe you should Google David Koresh, because he's actually a pretty interesting, fascinating character to read about. Uh, Koresh was basically a Christian cult leader of a group called the Branch Davidians. Uh, they lived in a compound in Waco, Texas, in the middle of nowhere, and you know, actually had over 100 adherents living at the compound at one point. Koresh believed that he was the final prophet of Christ and that he would essentially lead all his followers to the promised land when Christ did eventually return, which he thought was imminent. Um, now, I'll be honest with you, Jay. Sometimes you don't like when I'm honest, but I'm, I'm going to be honest anyway. I, I, I think you'll disagree with me here, but 
I really don't find anything crazier about David Koresh's rhetoric than I do about any other religion. I mean, oh, it's gee, all, thanks, so, it, it, but I'm saying it's all sort of based on blind faith to a certain extent, isn't it? No, it isn't. I think that there, there, there's a point where you have to jump off the cliff, but there is, you know, obviously in the Judeo-Christian religion, there wouldn't be so many people who believe if it wasn't based in historical evidence and fact. So there's a lot of historical evidence and fact. There's science. I, I really consider science very close to God. There's science that is You've involved that. In, in, in this belief. So I don't, I, they're, they're far apart. Right. Okay. Okay. But the greater point I'm going to make, like, like, like we, we, uh, we demonize the Scientologists for it. Like whenever anyone says Scientology, everyone's like those crazy kooks, but is it really that much crazier than any other religion? And I'm not just talking about Christianity. I'm talking about Judaism, Islam. I think all of them have a certain level of craziness. Jews are not exempt for that. The Orthodox Jews believe in some wacky stuff. I mean, some of the agreed, but I also think you need to note the message behind it to, to really see where this is coming from and is it a place of good or is it a place of evil and i think it's pretty obvious when you lay these out which is coming from where okay all right all right i'll take your point and a sidebar so with all that said (laughs) the series wasn't really about david koresh or the fact that he was a cult leader the series actually takes a much more conservative look at the way in which the standoff occurred so for those who don't know the basic story the fbi and the atf had received intelligence that koresh was leading a cult from this compound and that he had had several wives there and that they were stockpiling weapons. Uh, But outside of the polygamy thing, they hadn't actually committed any crimes. Uh, Gun laws were pretty lax in the state of Texas at that time. But the FBI and the ATF rolled in anyway. Uh, There was some speculation that Koresh was abusing underage kids. But again, they had no real evidence of anything. Uh, It was sort of an investigation in search of a crime, which is, you know, not the way the system is supposed to work. Uh, The agency's instigated uh, a 59-day standoff that resulted in 76 people dying, including a lot of women and children. It's actually a really, really sad thing. The only narrative that I ever got about this event was that Koresh was crazy. I mean, I remember this when I was a kid. It was 1993, so I was 13. I remember the headline, Wacko in Waco. But this series really explores the other side and the fact that nobody had to die. Uh, These federal agencies were trying to save face after a series of bad press they had been getting. Uh, It's really a story about government overreach. And the fact that, once again, as I've said a few times on the show now, that government gun is very, very powerful. It's the most powerful force in the world, actually. And this is why everyone should be very wary of a government that is given too much power. Limited government is actually better for the preservation of civil and human rights. Uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine last week, and we were talking about socialism. And he said, uh, socialism requires the entire population to be on board and to play along. And somebody has to enforce that because the only way it works is if it's enforced and there aren't too many people who don't want to play along. And who do you think has to enforce this? The government. And how do you think they enforce it? Via weapons and violence. And this is why socialism always leads to an extraordinary amount of death because eventually the people who get out of line have to be taken out. In one way or another. So anyway, uh, Waco on Netflix, it's six episodes. It will keep you on the edge of your seat the entire time. There is not one moment that isn't action-packed. Great acting, incredible story, really, really good stuff. Check it out. I love it. I'm going to watch it. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, dude, you should should start it tonight. It's really, it's incredible. I'm stoked. I need a new show, so I'm going to do it. All right, I got one for you too. Hit me. Uh, It's called Yellowstone, and everyone's talking about it. 
It was written by Taylor Sheridan. Uh, he was an actor, actually. He was in Sons of Anarchy. Uh, amazing writer. So he wrote Sicario, and he wrote the sequel and a couple of other movies that are really fantastic. And he, he wrote this series a long time ago, and it finally got made. It's, it stars Kevin Costner, and it's about a rancher in Montana who is bordered. He's the largest ranch and landowner in Montana. It's, he's bordered by developers and Native Americans, and both want his land. And it's, the, it's a great take on the modern frontier. It's based on things that do happen now. It's political in nature because in order to keep his ranch, he needs people in the governor's office and all those related offices. He, you know, he puts family there. He puts, it's so interesting how the interplay between the actual land and the, the ranching that goes on and the political nature of being a landowner in, in a place like Montana. It's about the last great cowboys. And who knows how much longer we'll have people like that. It's really incredible. I enjoyed it. I, uh, my wife and I just sped through these episodes. It's uh, made by the Paramount Network. It's their first scripted series, and I, th- I thought it was incredible. And I have a hot take for you, Riz. You ready for yeah, this hot I take? Lo- I love hot takes. Do it. My hot take is that Tom Hanks is not America's father. Kevin Costner is. Okay, but Kevin Costner is nowhere near as good of an actor as Tom Hanks. Wouldn't you agree? I, I would agree with that. To- Tom Hanks has more range. But in terms of someone who I want to be my father, okay. it's, it's Kevin Costner, man. He, and he's like, he's the Western guy. It's so American. Yeah, yeah you know? no, Kevin, Kevin Costner has a tendency to play Kevin Costner a lot. Yeah, I'm into but, it. But he has actually gotten, um, he's become a better actor in his old age. He's I, so I good like. in the yeah. show. It's, it's mm-hmm. my favorite. And honestly, I was, I was like trying to watch other Kevin Costner movies because I ran yeah. out of episodes because mm-hmm. uh, I caught up. And there's nothing to me as good as he is in this TV show. Yeah, you know, he, um, if you go back and watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thebes, the yeah. acting is sort of subpar. Yeah. Um, and whenever he has to have an accent, he's not very good at that. No. But yeah, the American Western kind of thing, that's, 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 his, that's his deal. He really has, sure. like, he slipped into that sort of Clint Eastwood, John yeah. Wayne, like, role of this is our great Western actor. Actually, that's, that's great. I can't wait to watch it. So I'll watch that tonight, and you watch uh, Waco. And, uh, and, and we, could, we could come back and report in a couple weeks. Sounds good. All righty. So we could not do a Culture Corner segment and not talk about what everyone's been talking about this oh week. Gosh. We didn't want to hop on the bandwagon, but we sort of, I sort of felt like I had to talk about this. And I have... I, we might be able to file this under Riz's rants again, but Jay and I might get, might get into a little bit of a discussion. So Cardi B has a new song. It's called WAP or WAP. How do you pronounce it, Jay? Uh, I'm not an, I'm no expert on the matter. I believe okay. it's WAP. I think it's WAP. Yeah. Uh, and WAP and it features Megan the Stallion. Two I guess her, yeah, her last name is Stallion. Her middle name is the, uh, <laughs> it's interesting so, uh, yeah, we're not going to read the lyrics of the song. No, for that's Don't freak out about the lyrics, uh, and us reading it, but WAP, we'll just tell you that WAP stands for wet ass P word. Let's just say the private area of a woman wet ass p word the lyrics are incredibly obscene they're graphic they're certainly not something you would want your children listening to i have an eight-year-old daughter as i've said and would probably not support her desire to listen to the song until she was 18 at least but preferably never um hopefully she's gonna have better taste because it's really not a great song uh now i am no cardi b fan 
But I am an ardent and unwavering supporter of the First Amendment. It's by far and away my favorite amendment to the Constitution. And uh, Cardi B's right to say whatever the hell she wants to in her art uh, is great for me so long as it doesn't blatantly and intentionally incite violence. I am very, very sensitive to any form of government censorship. And as I've said before on the show, I think the responsibility uh, to shield this kind of obscene content from your children falls on you and not the government. This is why in my house, we have the parental blocks on all of our devices. And even when my kids are teenagers, there will be absolutely no such thing as privacy in their lives when it comes to their cell phones and their emails or whatever other technology the kids are using at that point. I plan on going through my kids' phones on a nightly basis, uh, knowing who they're texting, what they're texting about. And you better believe I'll be monitoring, monitoring their movements with the find my phone feature anytime they go out for the night. I know there's probably some people out there who have like teenage kids who are probably shaking their head and being like, uh, good luck with that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, getting back to the actual song, the truth is the song is terrible, but it's no more obscene than anything else I've heard over the last 35 years. I mean, go back and read some of those early Guns N' Roses lyrics, uh, super misogynistic. Um, yeah, two live crew. Mm-hmm. Eminem had a song in early in his career where he was talking about raping his own mother. I mean, little Kim for that matter. I mean, there's a ton of stuff. Uh, this kind of content has been around for ages, and the fact that it exists doesn't bother me in the slightest. It it does, however, it does, however, seem to deeply bother many many male conservative commentators. So as I've said a million times now, I listen to a bunch of daily conservative commentators and nearly every one did a long extended reaction slash review of this Cardi B song last week. Matt Walsh, the Christian conservative commentator uh, who reports for Daily Wire, he was almost in tears talking about it. I I mean, just very upset that this song exists. Uh, I I mean, while... A lot of our listeners out there will start rolling their eyes when I say this. I don't find anything about the song that is any more obscene than what Trump said in the Access Hollywood tape. And I know if some of you are saying, oh, you always bring it back to Trump. But it's basically the same thing. Only one could make the argument that Trump was talking about actual sexual assault when at least Cardi B is talking about consensual sexual activity as perverted and sick as you may find it to be. Now, but for Trump and I think for men in general, and this is what I want to talk about, to Jay about. It's always sort of, quote, locker room talk. You know, that's just how men talk. It doesn't trigger anyone when a man says something like that. When a woman says it, there is absolutely something about it that triggers certain men that wouldn't be triggered by their golf buddy saying something similar. You know, Jay, you have to admit that this is true, right? There's something about this. Yes, I completely agree. There is something about, and there hasn't been many examples, which I'll get to in a minute. Right. This video, as you stated, is the same as every male hip-hop video and lyric. You know, Two Live Crew, Eminem, Marilyn Manson, Tupac. The list is long, especially when it comes to hip-hop. Now, men doing this has been standardized. Women doing this has not gone through the same process. We've had Lil' Kim, Nicki Minaj, and that's about it until now. It's shock culture, and it worked. The song is a hit. I agree with you. It's a freaking terrible song, and the lyric's (laughs) ridiculous, but it's a hit. Um, Now, is, is, is a female continuing a male stereotype? feminism or equality like everyone's saying like i don't believe that it is but i'm sure there are plenty of arguments on either side of that and we don't need to get into it there's a video of russell brand who disseminates this video it's something i really enjoyed watching and he's catching a ton of flack for it i think it's totally undeserving now he highlights something that's that i also think is a point here 
Uh, and this will probably get me in trouble. So uh, keep that in mind. Um, I'm answering a direct question about why this is bothersome to conservative men. And the brand mentions this. Right. Traditional male values, right? We're talking about bravery, courage, strength, things that men um, conservatively have become to be known by. Now, traditional female values, nurturing, caringness, equality. Now, this obviously does not fit into that mold. And we haven't had a great deal of women step out like these two have. It creates a massive uproar. And perhaps those are two reasons why. We're just not used to it. And, and traditional female values, this is not. Yeah, it, it's just, you know, I, I feel like women sort of fought for this in the 60s, along with a lot of other, other things like being able to be CEOs of companies and everything else. Um, I think one of the things they were fighting for in that movement was the idea of being as sexually free as men were. Because, you know, it's sort of like for anyone who's watched Mad Men, for instance, mm -hmm. like that whole idea of the man who was you know, cheating on his wife and running a company and never home sure, openly, and, you know, yeah. right. And, and just openly doing whatever he wanted and saying whatever he wanted mm -hmm. um, and sexually harassing women. And I think women at a certain point, and that probably happened in the sixties sort of said like, wait a second, why can't I do that same stuff too? And so I thought we sort of tackled this. I was just really shocked by yeah. the amount of conservative commentators who were truly upset that this song exists and you know what's really weird dude we're gonna have mm. like both our moms look up the lyrics to this song now please no but there is a greater do not do that yeah there is a greater point here that i want to make and this this could be the most profound point i have ever made on this podcast so wow. give me my profound music jay so here's the greater point I want to make. There was an op-ed I read recently by a guy named Matt Taby. Um, I'll post a link to this article on our blog because I thought it was one of the most poignant pieces I've read in a long, long time. And it was entitled, The Left is Now the Right. And there was a little blurb, uh, you know, before the article started. And it said, um, we laughed at the Republican busybody who couldn't joke, declared war on dirty paintings, and peered through your bedroom window. Now that person has switched sides and nobody's laughing. Mm. And the, the, what the piece points to and what it goes on to say is that everything we hated, and when I say we, I mean liberals, hated about the conservative attempt to regulate freedom of speech and expression, we are doing now by declaring certain kinds of speech we don't like, violence and needing safe spaces for every microaggression we encounter and going after comedians who tell off-color jokes. You know, the conservative to me was always like, in the Simpsons, like Ned Flanders, mm -hmm. you know, and Maude Flanders, like think of the children, you know, that, that, that was always, you know, that per, it, there was always an attempt to censor things they didn't like. Right. If there's one goal I have for liberalism with this podcast, it's that the left fully reclaim the mantle of freedom of speech. No censorship whatsoever. No limits. Let the right, especially the religious right hang themselves on this issue. The left needs to be the eternal protector of the First Amendment with absolutely no exceptions made ever. It is clear that the right still intends to take a hardline stance on these kind of issues as evidenced by this whole Cardi B song. But they have stolen the First Amendment crown, if you will, because it was available, because all you crazy leftists made it available. So let's take it back. That's all I'm saying. Let's take it back. And that is the end of Culture Corner. We hope you learned something. All right, Jay, let's get into some serious stuff, some, uh, some news, some news stuff. We do let's have some in. news, don't we? Yeah, why don't you, why don't you tell them what, well, one of the big things that happened this week? Obviously, the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, and the president of the Arab Emirates, were, they list, they're big listeners of the podcast because yeah. 
<laughs> there's a new deal brokered between Israel and uh, the United Arab Emirates. It really started being realized uh, this sun this past Sunday, August 16th, as telephone service between these two countries began working. And they opened diplomatic ties, and it's part of a deal that has required Israel to freeze plans to annex part of the West Bank. Uh, this deal, brokered by the United States, has opened economic and political doors for both nation states. And just for some background, the UAE is a sovereign state in Western Asia at the northeast end of the Arabian Peninsula on the Persian Gulf, bordering Oman to the east and Saudi Arabia to the south and west. It's a sovereign, absolute monarchy and a federation of seven emirates consisting of, rather than mispronounce these, I'm just going to say that it includes Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Right. Okay. We've heard of those. Each emirate is governed by a ruler and jointly they form the Federal Supreme Council. And one of these rulers from the council serves as the president of the United Arab Emirates. The population is about 9.2 million. Okay. So this agreement is the first peace agreement between Israel and an Arab country in 26 years. It's a big deal. It's a big, it's a very big deal. Um, mm-hmm. It's massive considering, you know, what we told you last week about all of this trouble between the Arab yeah. world and Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what makes it different is it based on two principles, as, as uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu issued in the statement. He said that that's peace for peace and peace through strength, meaning that because he took such a hard line, this this conglomerate of Arab came to him. Yeah, I love the peace for peace thing. That's that's a, that's a really great thing. Yeah, it's great. So under this agreement, Israel is not required to withdraw from any any territory, and the two countries are open to work together on investments, trade, tourism, health, agriculture, environmental protection, and defense. They'll exchange embassies and ambassadors, uh, firming up this this across the board cooperation. Now, not to get confused by what we discussed last week, this is not the Palestinians. In fact, mm-hmm. never missing an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Yep. The Palestinians released a statement after the deal was announced. This included all Palestinian factions, including Hamas and Islamic Jihad, which are both terrorist organizations, if you couldn't tell by the names. Yes. Um, but Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas angrily condemned this normalization agreement. He called it a despicable decision and a betrayal and added that in the event that any, Arab, any other Arab country takes a similar step, quote, we will take the same position that we have taken towards the Emirates and will not accept using the Palestinian cause as an excuse for normalization of relations. Naturally, yeah. shortly after this, rockets were fired into Israel from the Gaza Strip, as they are all the time. Yeah. Uh, bottom line, this is a big deal for President Trump, which we haven't mentioned yet, and for Israel. Yep. It contributes to peace and stability in the broader Middle East and bolsters Israel's security in the region. It's really a win-win for all parties. Yeah. Now, a couple of things I want to say, uh, you know, when a, when a president is when you're president, you get to take credit for everything good that happens and you get blame for everything bad that happens. That's just part of it. His administration did broker this deal. I yep. actually think it's a good deal. I don't think just because we hate Trump, we should uh, we should say it's not a good deal. If, if something good happens, we should praise him. And a lot of Democrats were praising this deal. A lot of, a lot of them weren't. And I'll mm-hmm. get to that in a second. Uh, do you agree with that, Jay? Like, I, I, I mean, do. I, do, you, do you think that Trump understands the complexities of any of this. I mean, I, I would find that really hard to believe. That's why I don't I don't like giving him credit for brokering the deal because he didn't. No, yeah. I get that. But and, his administration did. Correct. And while he right. may not have been um, in on the day to day back and forth of this deal, he came into office. I mean, you know, and he he could have been uh, of the mindset of like this. We've been trying to broker peace in the Middle East forever. It's never right. going to work. Uh, forget it. I'll leave it to someone else. But he really mm-hmm. didn't. He came into this. And, you know, like a bull in a china shop, like everything else, he said, yeah. I'm going to broker a peace deal. I honestly didn't buy it. I didn't believe him. And the fact that he did 
I think that that's where the credit should 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 lie. It's not in right. actually getting on the phone and brokering a peace deal, but is right. it is in directing his administration to get this done by the time he's out of office, and he did. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I will actually buy that. I am not going to sit here and 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 praise Donald Trump to the sky, but I will say that this this was probably one of the. I think it probably is the crowning achievement of his presidency. Would you agree, would with, agree that? with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially from a foreign policy um, yeah. standpoint. And I think there's a reason it happened before the election. There, this this will, uh, unfortunately for those people who don't like Trump, this will shore up some Jewish support for sure. Because mm-hmm. it is a pretty agree. big deal. Now, what Jay didn't mention um, that I want to mention is that this deal shows that the common interest of Saudi Arabia and Israel and the UAE and the Egyptians is to diminish the power of Iran by not seeing them as a regional power. So it, it's good for Israel because the Palestinians have sort of aligned themselves with Iran. And so we have more countries aligned against Iran and thus against the terrorism of Hamas. And it is enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right, right. Exactly. Now, remember, Hamas is funded by the Iranians. I mean, that's something we we can't forget. Um, the the, The UAE made this deal with Israel to make it look like they care about the Palestinians because, you know, they have uh, that's what they have to do to keep the peace there. But mm-hmm. the deal is really just a mutual defense alliance against Iran. That's really what it is. And the Palestinians yeah. have retaliated against the UAE by withdrawing their embassy, which I don't think the UAE cares at all about that. Uh, they're not happy about it's it. It's a protest tactic. It happens all the time. Right. Exactly. They're not happy about it, which is it's good for Israel. And by the way, what people don't know is that because uh, it doesn't get reported by our, our media that's just lazy about this stuff. But um, the Palestinians have been not just firing rockets, but balloons with bombs in them, which are attract kids in a, a very evil effort and overt effort to kill children. I mean, yeah. and they've been doing that kind of stuff for years. Now, there is, in an effort to be balanced, this is down the middle after all, there is another side to the story. Thomas Friedman from New York Times uh, took a stance against it, as he almost always does. New York Times, uh, man. Right. But I have to say, Friedman is almost always wrong on the Middle East. And yeah. I think he's a decent reporter when it comes to other stuff. He writes a lot of op-eds. Um, but I, I think he has been consistently wrong on all Middle East affairs. Uh, for being a Jew, he doesn't seem to like Israel very much. Uh, then there was Ben Rhodes, who was Obama's, uh, who was the guy who, who, who sort of put together the Iran deal for Obama. He he tweeted, this agreement enshrines what has been uh, the emerging status quo in the region for a long time, including the total exclusion of Palestinians, dressed up as an election eve achievement from two leaders who want Trump to win. Um, there's certain things in there that are just sort of like, eh, you know, whatever. Yeah. But uh, I think I think the main point he's saying is that this is mean to the Palestinians, which which was. uh you know, unfortunately, that was one of the, the the foreign policy issues that that Obama sort of took a stance on that I didn't agree with necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's always been this sort of misguided notion that if Israel backs off right um, uh, 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 of the Palestinians, peace will come to the region. What we have learned is that it doesn't work. We blasted that myth out of the sky. No, it, 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 exactly. The proof's in the pudding. They, the proof they, they have the backed pudding. out of certain territories. Mm-hmm. It's made no difference. They've gone back into territories. It's made no difference. This right. is a stance of the Palestinian people, and they won't move. Mm-hmm. And what it's like what Fred Zyman said on our interview, which if you haven't listened to, you should go back and listen to. Uh, you have to have... Uh, 
in our opinion, you have to have unwavering support for Israel because that is more countries supporting Israel. And re- what, what what this UAE deal actually says is that we recognize is that Israel's not going anywhere. Right. And the more countries that we have in that region doing that, the more peace is going to come when eventually it's going to get to the point where it's like, you leave us alone, we leave you alone. Yeah. The problem is Iran and Hamas simply refuse and Turkey refuse to recognize the Israeli state. So it's, um, you know, it's a serious problem. And I think I think that this deal is puts us in a good positive direction. So, yeah, I'm very it. happy about it. And I, I think it's something yeah. to celebrate. Absolutely. So the other big news moving moving forward on the news front here was uh, the news that everyone's been talking about, which is that Kamala Harris has become the official VP pick for Joe Biden. Uh, So who is Kamala Harris? Jay, who is she? Do you know her? Californian. I don't know. Not personally. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll tell you a little bit about her. She is the yeah, she is the senator of the state of California, our state that we are currently living in. Um, before that, she was the attorney general. Before that, she was the district attorney in San Francisco. Did she do something about these homeless people, like on, sleeping on the bench outside my place? You know, she hasn't had time, Jay. She's been campaigning for like okay, three years. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, her record as an attorney general is controversial. She went after a lot of low-level crimes, a lot of drug crimes. She was very, very hard on truancy for public school kids for whatever reason. Uh, she does not and never did have a lot of support from minority communities in the state. Further, she was a failed candidate in the Democratic primaries. Some of you who aren't up on the news might not remember that she was a Democratic candidate. She had sort of a spark in the beginning, and then she just took a huge nosedive. My father actually was a huge supporter of hers in the beginning, thought that she would get the nomination. I think she suffers from the same kind of Hillary Clinton disorder where people see her as an inauthentic politician. That's how she comes ac- comes across. She was played by Maya Rudolph in SNL. Maybe that will <laughs> right exactly that, you that'll is. spark your memory, right? Yeah. You, you know, but what doesn't make it better is that constant sort of cheesy sort of celebritizing of politics that the, Demo- the Democrats are always engaging in. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this the other day and thinking about how Democratic politicians that want to run for president always have to have some level of celebrity appeal. Mm-hmm. You know, Republicans don't do that. They, I mean, they just don't do that. Like right now, Republicans they, are- They also t- don't really have that. Right, they don't. But this, but this is the point I'm making. Like right now, Republicans are talking about the next White Hope after, uh, a- after Trump is gone, being this guy, Tom Cotton, who is the senator of Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. Tom Cotton, yeah, he's a military guy. Uh, the, the party loves him. He has the personality of like a turnip- at yeah. best like yeah. the democrats that's, being, could that's never... been pretty nice to him right exactly but but republicans don't care about the whole celebrity appeal that's a democrat thing so you know the way the way that joe biden announced that it was kamala harris that he that she was going to be his vp was via this super cheesy filmed uh zoom call that he did with her and that that sounded like this if you haven't heard it all right primary i meant to say Hi, 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 hi. Sorry to keep you. That's all right. You ready to go to work? Oh, my God. I'm so ready to go to work. First of all, is the answer yes? The answer is absolutely yes, Joe. And I'm ready to work. I am ready to do this with you, for you. I'm just deeply honored, and I'm very excited. 
Yeah, that wasn't staged at all. Um, <laughs> so is that necessary? Like, is that necessary? I'll tell you what, it was not written by Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, but the music swelling at the end. Republicans have no equivalent of that. Like, like <laughs> it's like it's like the Truman Show. Like, could you imagine George W. Bush when he asked Dick Cheney <laughs> to be his VP if he like zoomed him and it's all being filmed from different angles and the music swelling and first of all i'm pretty sure that was the other way around yeah, right exactly <laughs> i'm pretty sure dick but, cheney just said i'm gonna be your vp yeah. <laughs> just picture this for a second though okay bush is bush is at, on the zoom mm-hmm. and he he dials he dials him and and cheney can't picks see up, him knowing how to work cheney, this yeah, for starters uh, cheney cheney picks up with an ear to ear grin and he says hi george can i help you and <laughs> and bush just goes you know what? You ready to get to work, Dick? And <laughs> and Dick Cheney's just like, oh my God, I, not only am I ready, I am so ready. I'm going to do all these evil things and we're going to find weapons of mass destruction everywhere. <laughs> we're going to make up wars that we know we can't win. <laughs> okay, okay. No, but the, the point here is like, there is no equivalent to what to this kind of behavior that the democrats engage in with with the republicans the republicans don't even want it there were two two uh candidates that i i don't need to mention but i was involved in trying to bring that to him Mm. to them i was in the friends of abe as i've mentioned before and you know there were a lot of prominent hollywood individuals in this society with me yeah screenwriters musicians and I called both campaigns and got, you know, obviously was able to reach both chiefs of staff and offered this to them. And I said, look, this is happening on the left. They have screenwriters. They're people setting scenes. They're writing music for these ads and campaigns. Are you guys interested? Didn't get a call back either time. Just no interest. You know what? I'm not sure this kind of stuff helps the Democrats. I mean, we could have a debate about this because, you know, you hear... Republicans saying all the time how the Democrats sort of control the culture war. But mm-hmm. the fact that the Republicans don't engage in this kind of silliness actually makes them seem more adult to me. You, you know what sure. I mean? I get what it, you it, mean. Yeah. It, why does politics. They're not trying to like pull the wool over the. And it's so obvious. Right. Well, it's also like. I think I think Republicans have sort of accepted their 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 role as being like the bad guys. You know, they're the bad. Mm-hmm. Guys. I mean, there are I think there are a lot of people, especially younger people. I might even put my wife in this category. Who, if you say, well, who mm-hmm. do you vote for? She votes Democrat. You know, why do you vote Democrat? Well, because Republicans are bad, right? You know, sure, well, I, the, the, it, the social justice thing like paints them right. as the villain yeah. and paints the Democrats as like you're the good guy helping the little guy, right? You know? But, you know, maybe we need to get to a point where our politics isn't so intertwined with our mm-hmm. culture and our, our our entertainment. It really it was never meant to be that way. And it's it's really just a product of it probably started happening with TV before that. It For wasn't sure. it wasn't anything. You never even saw the president. Um, but, you know, now it's just become so over the top. Well, also with Hollywood being so so left. Yeah. You know, they they probably offer their their help to these candidates. Oh, they definitely do, and and that's what I'm saying. I mean, Joe Biden doesn't really fit the mold, but Kamala Harris certainly does. Barack Obama absolutely did. Michelle Obama Mm -hmm. certainly does. They fit the mold of sort of Hollywood characters, you know, and they're beloved by Hollywood, and they become a cultural phenomenon where where that never happens with Republicans ever. 
you know, mm-hmm. except for in the fact that they're then in movies where they're they're evil. And I was sort of kidding about the 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 Dick Cheney thing, but yeah, like yeah. any movie that's been made about Dick Cheney is about how oh evil he is, right? Oh, absolutely, right. Yeah. They, they don't do that with Democratic uh, politicians. Sure. Painted it, it, in quite a different light, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, moving on, uh, what does the right wing media have on her, and what don't they have on her? Now, I mean, here's the thing: I was prepared. I don't really think it's a good exercise to care about what right-wing media has to say about democratic candidates because they're they 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 have the script so well planned out this is another example of how savvy the right-wing media is the second kamala harris was 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 decided on they had the script everyone falls in line immediately they're going to paint her as a socialist even the you know a socialist that's posing as a as as a regular liberal they're going right. to paint her as crazy a flip-flopper all of these things you know mm-hmm. they're even going to go after her crime record you know they know everything is already written down the, the longer record you have the more in trouble you're going to be absolutely that was one of hillary clinton's problems you know yeah. i i actually am of the opinion and my bernie bro friends friends won't agree with me and my right wing friends would agree with me but i'm of the opinion that hillary clinton wasn't nearly as corrupt outside of the uh sort of norms of political corruption that uh you know pervade the halls of congress uh, i i think her original sin was that she just been around too long you know when you've had a 35 year career people who you were taking money from 35 years ago who were not unsavory are all of a sudden unsavory and then those things come up you know i i don't think she had a real problem with corruption no. i think well, it other was, than the fact that she was a robot oh yeah she was robotic that might have been an issue. She, and, and i and unfortunately i think kamala harris has the same thing but do you think that uh, any of the attacks on kamala harris from the right if you've been paying attention at all are gonna ha- make any difference or sway or sway anybody or change anyone's minds at this point I don't think this particular choice is going to make a bit of difference in the Joe Biden campaign. Okay. There were candidates that could have. Absolutely. I, I, I think she is another Joe. Yeah. And therefore, it doesn't really, it's not going to move the needle in either direction, which I think is going to be a, a net negative for yeah. the campaign itself. You know, ultimately, I kind of feel like, yeah, she's okay. I mean, for every progressive decision she's made, she's made a conservative one in, in, in her previous record. And you made a great point. Uh, or, you know, in our last podcast or two, pod- it was actually, I think it was during our interview with Dr. Andrew right. that, you know, Biden is courting the Bernie vote, which is why he's setting certain progressive agenda items um, out to the public. Yeah. Uh, this is not the way to do that. She's moderate. Yes. Which right. I actually like, but she's not going to get Paul or Dr. Andrew out to vote for this ticket maybe not maybe not but we'll get to see that's a that's a good segue in what i want to talk about next with her because this is another example of how democrats back themselves into a corner with identity politics you know Mm -hmm. joe biden said right when he when it was obvious he was going to be the nominee he said that he was going to pick a black woman as his vp and while i appreciate that and i understand it's historic um I don't think it's necessary. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think it's necessary at all, considering the fact that, uh, you know, Kamala Harris doesn't even have good approval rating among black. You know, this is exactly Democrats do this all the time. They think that everyone sees the world through through race, you know, and yeah. it, it's just not true. I mean, if Dems lose this time. So, so who who could have? You, you might be saying, who could he have picked? I think well, he, before before you even go there, yeah. I think that this is a greater point. And I think you really bring up an ideological issue mm-hmm. with the left. Yeah. And I think it doesn't it's not just the political stage where this happens. It happens. I mean, I railed against Teen Vogue last week. Right. It happens there, too. When you hire for diversity mm-hmm. and not the person who's best for the job, 
whether that's anywhere, whether that's your VP candidate or your CEO, yeah. you are going to run into a problem because that person is not being hired on their credentials yeah. and they're not being hired on the basis that they're good at their job. They're just being hired. It, it is racist, in my opinion. They're it's being vapid, hired because too. of their skin. It's it vapid is. wokeness. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and yeah, that's exactly it. And the people who you're trying to appease very often don't even care. Joe Biden skunked Kamala Harris in the black community. It wasn't even close. And Joe Biden is an old, crusty white guy. So obviously there's something about him that black folk like more than Kamala Harris, who's black. So, you know, I, I just think Democrats have put such an emphasis on this unnecessarily. And I'll tell you one thing. If the Dems lose this election... I really hope that they come to realize that very few people actually see everything through the eyes of race and that maybe they should cool it with this kind of stuff. We don't need more participation trophies. Let's give the jobs to people right. that should have these jobs that are best for these jobs. And and one other thing I want to say here about Kamala Harris, I, this is perhaps why people hate politicians. She went on Colbert's show last night, actually. And she gave a little interview and uh, there was one moment that I thought was sort of embarrassing and also pointed to, uh, made the greater point of why people dislike politics in general. And that sounded like this. I'll play it for you guys quickly. Because in those debates, you landed haymakers on Joe Biden. I mean, they were, his teeth were like chiclets all over the stage. And now I believe you that you're fully supportive of him. How does that transition happen? How do you go from being such a passionate opponent on such bedrock principles for you, and and now you guys seem to be pals? It was a debate. (laughs) Not everybody landed punches like you did, though. It was a debate. (laughs) So you don't mean it. It was a debate. That the whole reason, literally, it was a debate. It was called a debate. I understand. Traveled to the debate. There were journalists there covering the debate where there would be a debate. Okay. If she said debate one more time. Yeah, exactly. And that that extremely awkward laugh that she has. (laughs) How do they not have a better answer for this? Well, see, here's the thing. Because there is no answer for it. And this is is why... uh, politicians get such a bad rap because what she's saying there basically is i'm a liar that's, that's yeah. basically what she's I did, saying i did it to win right i i'm set up because e- it was true. either she was lying in the primary to make joe biden look bad and yeah. and that is a pretty disgusting thing to say about someone that you believe they're mm-hmm. they've sexually assaulted somebody i mean that yeah, that yeah. is that is about as as bad of an accusation as you can make against a fellow human being and mm-hmm. so either she was lying then or she's lying now but you know and i know a lot of people who are supporting biden and 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 kamala harris which i am i'm included in this group mm-hmm. i know a lot of people are listening to this and thinking well it's politics that's politics i was i was just Go gonna ahead. say real quick yeah. before you continue yeah this used to be a problem on the right. Yeah. With, when the Tea Party started happening and the right, the party went way right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the primary, you had to hit hard in the primary and you had to run to the right in order to win the primary within the party. Yeah. And then to get to the general, you had to run back to center and no one believed that. Right, right. It's, it's, why they, it's why they couldn't win for a large stretch of time. Now that the left is getting really left, like yeah. lefty, yeah. the same problem is happening. You got to run to the left in the primary. And then when you try and run back to center, no one believes you. Yeah, no, totally. And that's the issue. Yeah, and that that is a good point. And I'm even talking about 
going further than that and again accusing somebody of being a sexual yes, molesting tyrant agreed, right is, a, is next level and then having yeah. to take that back so maybe you just shouldn't do that you know maybe yeah. and, and you know have a little forethought right, i have a lot of like my a lot of my relatives people who who love me are always like you should run for office and be a politician this is the number one reason why i would never do that because i have no interest in being that kind of person you know uh, yes there are a few good politicians and people who are good-hearted and kind hearted and again a lot of people are saying well you know that's politics but fine not a justification I, I, I don't want any part of that i don't want to be a kind of person who has to uh, accuse somebody of terrible things only to then have to work with them later on. And, you know, the right does this all the time, like you said. I mean, Ted Cruz called Donald Trump a guy with no morals. I mean, Donald Trump called Ted Cruz's wife ugly. I would have punched yeah. him in the face, <laughs> you know? And then he had to turn around and be his best friend after he that's won. Right. You know, that's part of politics. But frankly, it's the part of politics that I think is ugly and people don't it like is. and yeah. something I would never want to be involved with personally. Now, one more thing on this subject. I think this also, that clip also points to why Bernie Sanders was so popular and still remains mm-hmm. so popular. Mm-hmm. Because you could say, yeah, Bernie is a is an octogenarian socialist loom bag. Yes, this is true. But he has been so con- remarkably consistent his entire career. He's been screaming about the same stuff for 40 years. Yeah, He's ne- plenty of video evidence. Right. And he didn't do this to Biden on that on that no, primary he stage. Not. He did not. He 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 took a stance of I don't know, you know, uh, you know, he he just he he sort of pivoted off of it, which is what he should have done, rather than taking this hard stance of he did it and then have to backtrack on it, you know? Well, it's what you talked about with Paul and sort of like the the Trump Bernie comparison yeah. in that they both don't play politics. Right. They both just say what they mean, mm-hmm. and therefore they don't have to lie, and they don't have to remember what they lied about in order to fix the lie it, later. Exactly. It's, I am who I am. Take it or leave it. Now, now, now Trump goes after everyone. Ber, you know, Bernie is definitely more kind-hearted than Trump. But, uh, but you know, tr- it, it, the, the point is here that I think a lot of lefties who support Bernie Sanders will see clips like that of Kamala Harris and just think, uh, calculating cold politician. And it was a horror. I don't it was want a it. Really, really bad look. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. And again, that doesn't mean I'm not going to vote for them because it's a binary choice. And I, mm-hmm. you know, th- that goes to the last, the last question. I think we should answer in this, in this, uh, in this segment, which is: Is Kamala Harris a safe choice? And I think ultimately, yes, she is. She mm-hmm. is the safest choice that he could have made, given that it had to be a black female. If he had picked Susan Rice, it would have been. Yeah, you know that he was trying to cover up the crimes of the Obama era by picking right. yeah is Susan Rice. If he had picked ever you know any of the uh, female mayors of the of these historically black cities, it would have been look at how their cities are falling apart. If she you know Keisha Lance Bottoms in Atlanta, one of those, it just wouldn't have worked. I think Kamala Harris was the only way he could get sort of a moderate that was also black and a woman who knows a lot, who is a skilled politician, who's been so around. Safe, safest choice, safest choice honestly. for sure. Now, does it add any value to the ticket? I think I'm on, I'm on the page. I'm on the same page as you. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was a, a poll I read recently. Uh, it was actually just a couple of days ago. What was the number one reason you were going to vote for Joe Biden in in the election? Sixty five percent of Democrats said he's not Trump. That's all you have to know right there. That's all you have to know. We hate Trump so much. It could be as as crazy and exaggeratory as this sounds. It could be a giraffe and we would vote for him. Anyone. And that's That's true. But I I tell you what, 
the people that don't mm-hmm. agree with that are guys like Paul yeah. and the Bernie voters. Yeah. And like, I, I'll reiterate again, I think with the polls tightening, not that I completely believe that polls are accurate, but with the polls tightening, he needs those Bernie votes to ensure a victory. And I right. think with this pick, he really, really, he, he lost them. Maybe, maybe. Uh, although I mean, if they don't come out, I it could be a problem. Trump, they forget about voting for him. If they don't come out, it's an issue. You might be right. Um, I think that Trump is so off-putting that... Mm-hmm. It's not like the Hillary Clinton thing where they didn't know Donald Trump yet. Now, Trump is even worse than Hillary Clinton to them, to the Bernie bros, that is. And I think there's enough of them who are still going to vote for Kamala Harris. Plus, she's gotten a strong endorsement from Bernie. There's been more Mm -hmm. mobilization. You know, remember, Bernie never mobilized behind Hillary Clinton. He didn't like Hillary Clinton. And he turned them off. Bernie has done a great job so far being a team player. But even when he gives the speech, he still does it in his Bernie way. Yeah, says, I don't agree with him on this, 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 right. and this, but go vote for him anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, we're going to move on. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, a little bit of news talk there, a little bit of current events. Now, I want to say one thing. We're going to move on to the topic of the day. Some people have been saying, well, the topic of the day is like the shortest part of the show. Yes, the, all the topic of the day means is not the crux of the show. What it means is the part of the show that doesn't have to do with anything that's going on right now necessarily, like current events, yeah. but has a greater greater implications for the world, for for ideas. Theology, you know, the big ideological questions. It is the topic of the day. It's the topic of the day. Topic of the day. It's the topic of the day. Topic of the day. So the topic of the day on this episode is sort of the history of the African-American vote in America. Jay, did you know that black people used to vote for Republicans? No. Yeah, I heard that. Wow, that's amazing. You know, I would really, really, this would be a great time to have one of those famous buzzed histories. You wouldn't happen to have one prepared, would you? You know, Riz, I have one right here. Hello, and welcome to Buzzed History. Today, we are exploring a little-known fact surrounding the black vote in America. There are a great many people that know the history of the black vote and related events. But as Riz just mentioned, did you know that the black vote used to be almost wholly Republican as opposed to the 90% that vote Democrat today? It's true. As we've explored in a previous Buzz history, during and after the Civil War, the Republican Party was, at that time, the party of Lincoln, the party of the emancipation, and the party that not only pushed black votes, they pushed black politicians as well. But as of 1968, no Republican presidential candidate has received more than 13% of the black vote, which is surprising considering how conservative most black families are. Back in 1870, nearly all people of color identified and supported the Republican Party and its candidates supporting the party for its ending of slavery and expanding black civil rights, including the right to vote after the passage of the 15th Amendment. However, as political power was gradually returned to Southern Democrats through the 1877 Compromise, which resolved the disputed 1876 presidential election, African Americans were once again stripped of their voting rights as the Compromise would see the Democrats accepting the Rutherford-Hayes victory, but adding the caveat that all federal troops be withdrawn from the South, consolidating Democrat control, ending the Reconstruction era, and ushering in Jim Crow laws. However, the Republican machine in certain areas, such as Chicago, would continue to court black voters and extend patronage jobs. The party offered migrants an outlet for political participation that was unimaginable in the Jim Crow South. The party shift in the black vote began to occur in the late 1920s. This was a direct result of a refusal by the Republicans to pursue civil rights, and while quite shallow, efforts by Northern Democrats to create opportunities for African Americans. Since the Democratic Party had shifted to become the party of organized labor, working-class African-American citizens would begin to align themselves with the Democrats. 
This shift would continue to see a trickle of black voters cross party lines through the FDR administration and beyond, as another spike came in the 1940s despite the Republicans maintaining their progressive position on civil rights. Throughout this time, issues would pop up in both parties that would align each of them with the Jim Crow South in different ways, which loosened up black voters on the Republican side. It wouldn't be until the early 20th century, following the migration of African Americans to northern cities seeking refuge from Jim Crow, that we would see them widely re-engaging in party politics. Before the passage of the Voting Rights Act in 1965, an estimated 23% of eligible black voters were registered nationwide. By 1969, that number rose to 61%. This large-scale shift occurred then, in the late 1960s, when the Democratic Party took up the mantle of civil rights and black support for the party coalesced into the reliable Democratic voting bloc we know today. President Lyndon Johnson, upon signing the Civil Rights Act of 1964, stated that the Democrats would, as a result, lose the South for a generation. Obviously, it's been much longer than that. Now, where things get confusing is that over this time period, there has been significant growth in the black middle and upper classes, and diversification of black political views. A similar uptick has occurred in the number of moderate and conservative members of the black community, yet voting has remained strongly with the Democrats. Most experts and scholars, including political scientists Ismail K. White and Cheryl N. Laird, attribute this to what they call a radicalized social constraint, or pressure on black voters from black peer networks to adopt a partisan democratic outlook. For example, during the 2012 campaign, polled black voters were four times as likely as white voters to report that they expected sharp criticism from friends and family if they voted Republican. The natural inclination would be to attribute this to Barack Obama being on the ticket. However, in 2016, black voters expected disapproval at the same rate. This behavior is not tracked among white voters at all. All of this points to a question that my esteemed co-host Mr. Rob Leifer has asked a number of times on this podcast. Is this reason good enough for the black community to remain loyal to the Democratic Party? This has been Buzzed History. Yeah, great buzz history, Jay. Really, really good stuff. I do want to uh, continue this discussion just a little bit. We just have a little bit more for you here today. I want to talk a little bit about whether African-Americans should continue voting for Democrats. And I want to sort of do it through the lens of a guy named Dinesh D'Souza. Now, oh boy, yeah, here we go. Uh, a lot of people might not have ever heard that name unless you're a right winger. Only right wingers like him. Uh, Left wingers either hate him or have never heard of him. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza, he is a far right political commentator, really more of a provocateur, I guess you could say at this point more than anything. He's a filmmaker too, albeit a very bad one. His films are terrible. Uh, He's made his living off sort of, uh, I would say, an alt history narrative that he's been pushing for decades now, where he challenges the conventional wisdom that there was a switch that happened when the Southern Democrats became Republicans around the time of the Civil Rights era and the Republicans invoking what is widely referred to as the Southern strategy in order to bring those Southern racists into the party, he basically says that that never happened. And that instead, the Democrats sort of figured out another way to enslave black people. And it was through the welfare state, of course, as you would expect. Uh, His history is wrong. It contains a ton of holes. But uh, every once in a while, he says something that at least gets you to thinking. And uh, I should also say that he is a convicted felon who was convicted of campaign finance violations during the Obama administration. Obama's DOJ prosecuted him. He claimed it was a political hit job. He actually, I think, did some jail time. I think it was just at-home jail, uh, house arrest, rather. Uh, Trump pardoned him a couple years ago and said he was treated very unfairly by the Obama administration. So uh, that's why you may have— I don't know Trump was from Long Island. (laughs) That's the best impression I have. But anyway, that's why you may have heard Dinesh D'Souza's name. Uh, You may say— you know, dude, why would down the middle give voice to a nut job like Dinesh? Well, 
As I said at the top of the show, and I say all the time, all opinions are welcome here. We want to hear all of it. We want you to hear all of it. And we think, you know, with our help disseminating the information, you're probably smart enough to figure out what you believe. So here is Dinesh giving a lecture on a college campus somewhere. I have no idea where it was. Uh, I think Liberty. Yeah, yeah, probably one of those. Um, Or it might have been some kind of conservative convention. He uh, is just giving his opinion here. So there's nothing really incendiary or anything he says that's factually incorrect. Uh, Somebody asked the question, prove to me that the Democratic Party is the racist party currently. And, uh, you know, his whole shtick, Dinesh, is that it's not Republicans who are racist. It's actually the Democrats. And uh, this is what he had to say. Take a listen. The question, the deeper part of the question is, so prove to me that the Democratic Party is racist now. And um, as often happens with a tough question, this is kind of when I rise to the occasion. Um, um, Well, let me just say this. If one goes today to the Democratic-controlled inner city, and we're talking here about some two dozen cities entirely dominated by the Democratic Party. There's not a Republican in sight. I argue that we will see in them now all the five features of the slave plantation that Kenneth Stamp outlined in his classic work, The Peculiar Institution. In a description of the plantation, Kenneth Stamp identifies five things that you would see on a slave plantation. Number one, broken down, dilapidated, and unsafe housing. Number two, broken families. You can see this under slavery. There was a confusion of who's the real father, mulattoes running around in the plantation, the family structure and decay. Number three, a high degree of violence required to hold the place together. Police power, whippings, overseers, fences, barbed wire. Number four, Everybody gets a basic provision. If you need food, you have health care, they call the doctor. But nobody gets ahead. There's no opportunity. Nobody really advances. The Southerners and the Democrats used to call slavery a school of civilization. And Stamp goes, that's not a school from which anyone ever seemed to graduate. And finally, nihilism and despair. A feeling that there's no future, that this is an intergenerational, ongoing, lasting way of life. Now... All those five features can be traced directly to inner city Oakland, inner city Baltimore, many places, Chicago. And like I say, this has been going on since the 60s. The United States has spent trillions of dollars to fix these places. The Democrats have been in charge of fixing it. And yet, many of these places are no better off than they were in 1967. Think about that. So, at the very least, this reflects a callous and shocking disdain for the welfare of the people who live in those communities. Okay, um, there's definitely some stuff I, I at least will hear out and, and say, okay, let's, let's talk about this a little bit that he right. says there. Um, you know, one of the things I think he gets wrong is to impute racism to the Democrats, you know, the the idea that it's because Democrats are Democratic politicians are racist. I, I don't think I think that's completely off off base. I, I think it is true 
you know, two things can be true at once, if you will, Jay. So true thing number one, uh, these cities, these inner cities that have been run for Democrat by Democrats since the 60s have by and large stayed the same. They haven't improved very much. It's very Mm -hmm. disappointing, actually. True thing number two, it's probably because of a number of factors. And I think one of those factors is that the Democratic politicians have sort of treated minority communities like children and have sort of said, well, we could throw money at this problem and make it go away. And it clearly hasn't worked. I think what's happened is, like Dinesh was saying, you have these generational, uh, you know, generations after generation who rely on government assistance. So they never get to, as we've talked about before, partake in that American dream. They never get to partake in capitalism because they don't have access to capital. And, you know, they're stuck in a cycle of, of right. feed, having to feed their family with this money and these food stamps. And right. it and, just and, keeps going. And, you know, what's what's really interesting is that they don't live in they live in impoverished conditions. I mean, if you see inner city Baltimore, it's absolutely crazy. But yeah. they, they still have, uh, you know, tremendous problems with obesity. So, mm-hmm. like, what that shows you is that they're not poor, like, starving, like like in African countries. They have enough money to get by, but the government gives them basically just enough money to not get out of poverty, but to buy their basic necessities and keep them in this sort of impoverished, uneducated state. That, yeah, I mean, I would also say that the food that they're able to purchase is incredibly unhealthy. Of course, and, you know, of course, that's part of it. Eating McDonald's every day is going to it's going to make you obese. Right. And if that's what you can afford. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It, you know, the point is here that we're talking about, you know, 60 years or more yeah. that that these cities have been run this way. Now, I do want to make one little rebuttal here. So, you know, while we're on the topic of Baltimore, um, this just came out, I think it was just a day or two ago. There is a woman running for, a young woman running for Congress in Baltimore. Uh, Her name is Kimberly Klasik. Uh, She's running as a Republican. She is a black Republican, which you don't see very often. And she, she put out a campaign video that I thought was an extremely effective campaign video, although I did critique it and the things it didn't say on my Facebook profile today, which I will read after the video. Uh, but here is what that video sounded like. Um, you won't be able to see it. I, I, would, I would recommend everyone go to YouTube and find this video to see it because it is a powerful, you get to see what the inner city Baltimore actually looks like. It looks like a third world country, but you will get to hear at least what she, uh, what she has to say. And I think it was pretty compelling. Do you care about black lives? The people that run Baltimore don't. I can prove it. Walk with me. They don't want you to see this. I'm Kim Klasik. This is Baltimore, the real Baltimore. This is the reality for black people every single day. Crumbling infrastructure, abandoned homes, poverty, and crime. Baltimore has been run by the Democrat party for 53 years. What is the result of their decades of leadership? Baltimore is one of the top five most dangerous cities in America. The murder rate in Baltimore is 10 times the U.S. average. The Baltimore poverty rate is over 20%. Homicide, drug, and alcohol deaths are skyrocketing in our city. Do you believe Black Lives Matter? I do. The vast majority of crime in Baltimore is perpetrated against black people who make up 60% of the population. So why don't we care about our communities? 
The Democrat Party have betrayed the black people of Baltimore. If the politicians walk the streets like I do, they would see exactly how their policies and corruption affects us. But they don't want to see it. They don't want you to see this. Go to any Baltimore neighborhood and ask this question. Do you want to defund the police? No. No. Absolutely not. I had three sons killed in Baltimore City. And I think if we defund the police, office, it's going to be worse than that. So no, I'm opposed to that. What are you going to defund the police for? Why? How do you defend your city, your community? Families are losing people. It's not just Baltimore. The worst place for a black person to live in America is a Democrat-controlled city. It's 2020. Name a blue city where black people's lives have gotten better. Try. I'll wait. Look at this. How are children supposed to live here and play here? Democrats think black people are stupid. They think they can control us forever. That we won't demand better and that we'll keep voting for them forever. Despite what they've done to our families and our communities. Are they right? I'm Kim Klasik and I'm running for Congress because I actually care about black lives. All black lives matter. Our communities matter. Baltimore matters. And black people don't have to vote Democrat. All right, so w when I first saw this ad, uh, I thought my first thought was you you could have written this yeah because totally. it's it's it really explores the same sentiments you've been talking absolutely. about for, for and, quite a and, while it was it's really point I thought it was spot on yeah yeah the, it, well here's the thing it's um as a liberal mm -hmm. and this is not a popular you know diversity of thought here people I know a lot of people on the left will hate me for this I think it's very refreshing to see a black woman running as a Republican I think sure. that's a good thing I think we need more of it we need more conversations mm -hmm. at least about yes. the idea of why we still are living like this why can't we get out of this cycle that we've been in for generations it's a real it's a real long shot for her to win of course but at the very least hopefully it starts the debate of why are we voting for the same thing and why aren't we having this conversation of what needs to change right now what she doesn't say, and the critique of the video, and I, I, I sort of go through this on my Facebook post, if anyone wants to check that out, um, is that she doesn't say what Republicans are going to do to make it better. Mm -hmm. um, she, she never says once what they're going to mm -hmm. do. She talks a little bit about Democratic corruption, but doesn't bring up all the corruption on the other side. There's, there, there is historically more corruption in, in Republican, uh, in the GOP than there is in the Democrats, uh, for the Democrats, rather. Um, she talks she, she does she talks a lot she basically waves her finger at the democrats and their policies but doesn't actually give any uh you know any semblance of an idea of what she is going to do yeah, she if she talk gets in office platform. right she doesn't talk at all about her platform just talks about how this has to change doesn't tell us what they're going to do and it's sort of you know we we do an interview this week that you guys will hear with Paris Denard you know i i feel sort of the same way when i was talking to Paris like the idea that Donald Trump is the guy or any Republican, for that matter, right now is the guy that's going to fix this situation. I'm just not convinced. And here are some other statistics that Republicans like to gloss over and they don't like to talk about. OK, let's talk about this for a second. The poorest state in the nation is Mississippi. The shortest life expectancy in the nation is Mississippi. The least educated state in the nation is Mississippi. OK, that's Three, right there. Mississippi is as red as you could get. There ain't a Democrat in sight, to use uh, uh, Dinesh D'Souza's language. The most federally dependent state in the country is Kentucky, run almost exclusively 
by Republicans, okay? Highest crime rate per capita is Alaska. A lot of people don't know that. Look it up. Alaska has the highest crime rate per capita. In fact, the top five states with the highest crime rates are Alaska, New Mexico, Tennessee, Arkansas, Nevada. Three out of five are deeply red states. One is purple, the other is blue. Okay, what are they doing? Okay, what are, what are the politicians doing there to fix that? The highest rate of non-Hispanic white poverty in the country is Kentucky. Kentucky is run almost exclusively by Democrat by by Republicans, not a Democrat in sight. Okay, and we could go on and on here. Okay, by contrast, the wealthiest state in the country is Maryland. And Maryland's as blue as it gets. No Republicans in Maryland's, okay? The most educated, and that's despite the fact that Baltimore is in Maryland's, uh, the most educated state in the country is Massachusetts. Massachusetts is legitimately the bluest state in the country. The healthiest state in the country, the healthiest states, rather, are Vermont, Massachusetts, Hawaii, Connecticut, and Utah. All but one, and this is all information, by the way, that you could get on the Pew Research Center, All but one of those states are as blue as it gets. The only state that's not is Utah. The safest cities, the safest city in America is Columbia, Maryland. Again, a blue state, a blue city. Cities with the highest concentration of wealth. Okay, the highest concentration of wealth. New York City, San Francisco, Chicago, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C. Literally all blue and have been for 50 years. Okay, highest quality of life. And this is this was an extensive study by World Population Review, Washington State, completely blue. Lowest quality of life of any state in the country, Louisiana, red. So my, my bigger question is, why aren't Democrats running ads like that? Why aren't Democrats in Mississippi, like who are running in Mississippi, saying like, you guys have lived as the most overweight, unhealthy, shortest life expectancy, poorest state in the country, and all you've been doing is voting for Republicans. Maybe you should try voting for Democrats. The idea is that two could play at this game. Don't you kind of agree with that, Jay? No, absolutely two could play at this game. And if they were smart, they'd pay attention to this campaign video. But getting back (laughs) to the video, it's good political strategy to, because, you know, this is a small race. You know, this is is for... It's uh, just a, a Congress seat. And so for her to gain the attention that she's now gained because of this clip um, is impressive. And it's not so much that here is my entire uh, political position on everything. I think more, let me get the eyeballs and then they'll do, you know, people will then go and do the research. So I agree with you. Right. It, 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 it lacks what I'm going to do, but I don't think that was the point of the clip. I think the point of the clip was to get eyeballs and hopefully get people to then go see what she's all about. And then they'll, you know, I think she did a great job. Uh, she did. It, it, it's it's an extremely effective campaign ad. What, what I am what I am more saying here is there are states and cities that are run by Republican and Democrats and vice versa um, that have problems. There are problems everywhere, sure. and I'm not always sure you can attribute all of those problems to, to leadership mm-hmm. um, or, or to leadership in general. Mm-hmm. Like not even just a political party. Uh, you know, people live their lives, and some people don't even have any idea who's leading Very them true. or what's going mm-hmm. on. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so what I'm saying, you know, and and I don't want to say this as a fact because I don't know. I think. It, this requires a deep dive into why these inner city communities have been like this for so long, where the money is going yeah. that they're getting, where how the money for the cities are being allocated, and examine really examine what is going wrong in those cities that's not going wrong in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, San Francisco has a lot of poverty too, but again, 
why is there so much wealth in San Francisco, in New York, in D.C., in L.A., um, and such little wealth in, you know, these other parts in, in Baltimore? You know, it, it's it's a it's a very interesting thing. And I think it doesn't necessarily come down. We all want to blame uh, the political party that we don't like, you know, but maybe it doesn't have much to do with the political party. I honestly don't know. So that is something we should set out to explore. And I think if you guys have any opinions on this topic, please, this would be a great week to chime in with discourse. We will do our best to answer all your questions. We'll also do our best to do research on the questions, yeah. which you won't find someone like Rush Limbaugh doing. So sorry there rush i think that uh the the uh binoculars were placed on local local government and local governance with the the so, sort of covid era politic between the protests and the you know the sort of states rights that have come yeah. that have come into play in lieu of a national uh standardized system of dealing with yeah. the crisis because that's what trump wants it to be no, no, 100%. he wants it to be all in the states yeah 100 <laughs> because he gets to say yeah. this look at how poorly yeah. these democrat cities and, and states have been run and but it's really placed um you know a microscope and it's something that we yeah. haven't really looked at in great depth and i think it's it's a good yeah. thing for us to have a public debate about what this means yeah. for the country as a whole Totally. And it, it has placed a, a, a microscope. I, I absolutely agree with you. But it also is the Republicans have been talking about this for a long time. They have they've been talking about for most of our lifetime that w when you put Democrats in, in charge of cities, this is what happens. And, you know, to a certain extent, they're not all incorrect. Like, for instance, when I was growing up in New York in the 80s, it was over uh, oh, just overrun yeah, with crime and homeless. And Rudy I remember going, and yeah, was yeah. Rudy, a Republican did clean it up. And you know what he had to do? He had to put cops everywhere because the frankly, yeah. cops everywhere stops crime. Yeah. And, you know, he started prosecuting uh, quality of life mm -hmm. crimes, which they're not doing in L.A. No. now. And I could tell you I could tell you firsthand the quality of life goes down when you walk out uh, outside of your house with your kids and there's somebody using your front lawn as a bathroom yeah. and there's nothing you could do about it. You call the cops and they just tell them to move down the street and the next day they're back. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't improve quality no. of life. So, you know, people have to make choices. Uh, it's like uh, what officer Ed said mm -hmm. way back then. Um, you know, these uh, people, everyone wants to be, politically correct. Everyone wants to sort of fit in with what's going on. And, you know, a lot of times that's reflected in, in police policy and law enforcement policy of the city. So these are complex issues, but I'm really glad we touched upon this because I think a lot of people don't know that Republican, that black people used to ver vote yeah. for Republicans. And uh, I think people find that interesting. And if, if we could, if you walk away from this episode, even just saying, why is it that the black community has voted for Democrats all these years. What have they really done for them? Name me some things. I want to know. So uh, chime in. This would be a great week for you guys to, uh, to chime in on. Absolutely. That. And uh, later on this week, we have an interview with a professional political pundit and friend of the pod, Mr. Paris Denard. And it was a, a heck of a time, wasn't it, Riz? It was. Um, I, w I want to apologize in advance for the liberals who wanted me to destroy Paris. Paris is a very, very partisan Republican. He is a Trump surrogate. He is uh, a, a black guy who who loves Trump, which, uh, you know, makes him a, a you know, a popular interview on, on primetime TV because they love anything like that. Uh, but he's also a very skilled guy at getting he's his a, message out. And brain. I pu yeah, I pushed back when I could, but uh, I still tried to keep it respectful. And I know for some of you, it probably won't be enough, but I, I apologize. I did what I could. Limit the hate and mail. I 
yeah, I, I limit the hate mail. I feel pretty good about where where we ended up standing. Yeah, at look, the end. I, think I thought it, it was, his summation of it was great. I agree with you. I'm looking forward to people hearing um, the conversation. I'm looking forward to people mm-hmm. hearing us sit down with someone who's usually screamed at on yeah. on these networks, and it just ends up like you don't get to really take in what either of them said because you can't freaking hear right. either of them. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I really was happy that he came on so that people can see what it looks like to really sit down yeah. with someone who at, who is skilled and, you yeah. know, whether you believe in what he believes in or not, having a civil conversation is what we're all about. And we wanted to take people who are on these networks and create, you know, and are part of this sort of where it gets really messy and, and iron it out and like make a, you create a conversation in an atmosphere where we can have a nice civil back and forth. And I think we did that, and it was a really, it was a great, it was, I had a great time just watching him work. I thought it was, you know, seeing a professional <laughs> yeah. is, is really extraordinary. It, it's really funny. I was telling this to my mother. Uh, you, when you watch these people on TV all day, um, it's very easy to sort of sit on your couch and be like, this person's an idiot. Like, I could, I could take them down, yeah. you know? But then when you actually face them face to face, you realize that they're actually, they're sort of like the best litigators in the world. They they have all the facts all their in their head. Yeah. Right. It's all at their fingertips. They they repeat the same talking points over and over and over again. So they're well versed in it. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. So like you know, when you see Anderson Cooper on with the My Pillow guy talking, you know, My Pillow guy's trying to convince him that he has the miracle cure and Anderson Cooper is challenging him, just know that that's not easy to do. It, it is a hard thing to do. And even your most hated commentator or uh, pundit on TV, they're probably very talented. I always say this about Tucker Carlson. I can't stand Tucker Carlson. I think he's a white nationalist for the most part. But you cannot deny the guy is extraordinarily talented. When you watch him, you're like, wow, this guy. Like, I understand why he's the most watched, you know, uh, uh, pundit in the world because he he has a skill. So anyway, keep that in mind. And we should probably just play like a short little clip of what it sounded yeah, like. Yeah, right, I got a clip. Here you go. Well, Rob, I say thank you. That's a great talking point. I should add to my repertoire because it's true. <laughs> The unemployment has gone down for everyone. That just shows that the president's policies are working for everyone and not just, as, as the, some people say, just the rich or just this group or just that group. It's, it's an inclusive economy. All right, guys. So that does it for this week. Go to downthemiddlepod.com to find out more info and contact us. If you send us questions, we'll answer them on the air. Follow us on social media at Down the Middle Podcast on Instagram, at Down the Middle PC on Twitter, and at Down the Middle Pod on Facebook. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Five stars, guys. How many stars, Riz? Always five. If you're going to leave less than five, don't leave them. That's right. So follow me at at Justin Siegel on uh, all the socials. You can follow Riz at Rob underscore Lifer at Instagram. I'm the best looking Rob Lifer on Facebook, and I'm Rob Lifer at Twitter. Um, And that's about it. And no, they do not call me Rob the Cat in high school. They never did. We were just joking. Uh, visit our discord mix it up with us politics the links in our socials buy some t-shirts while your friends by promoting moderate change incrementally and now you can buy some mugs now you can wow your mm-hmm. friends by sipping your coffee incrementally it's it's very true got another two hour <laughs> episode here <laughs> sorry about the length people we have a lot a lot of to say yeah. so if you don't like it listen to i want to remind everyone listen to it incrementally space, space it okay? out yeah that's right just space like we said out. right Exactly. Yeah. Make make it last because it's got to last an entire week before you see us. Yeah, again. Plenty of time. So uh, plenty of plenty of time. Don't feel pressured. All right. Uh, that's it. Episode lucky 13. Um, we're excited about it. We're excited about a lot of cool things coming your way in the future. 
And uh, we will see you next week, hopefully. Bye, guys. Bye.